Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, and it is time for a preview of the 2022 Australian Open men's semifinal between Rafael Nadal and Matteo Berrettini. In a separate video, I will preview the other semifinal, which I will link in the description and on the top comment, that one between Daniil Medvedev and Stefanos Tsitsipas. Rafa Nadal now two wins away from major number 21. No Novak Djokovic on the other side. Matteo Berrettini seeks his second slam final, still looking for that first major title. Big opportunity in front of both these men. So let's get into it. If you're new to the channel, here's how these work. I will make a case for each player. I will discuss their paths to victory. And at the end, I will reveal my prediction. This is the second meeting between Nadal and Berrettini. The first came in 2019 at the U.S. Open. It was Berrettini's first, his maiden major semifinal, and it was a straight set win for Rafael Nadal. Berrettini did not have a break point in that entire match, which segues me nicely to the first thing I really want to talk about, which is the dynamic between Rafael Nadal's serve and Matteo Berrettini's return and how those points are likely to play out, in my opinion. Matteo Berrettini, his backhand return is something that's attacked by a lot of players. You saw Carlos Alcaraz hitting kick serves to Berrettini's backhand and getting a lot of having a lot of success there. We've seen Novak Djokovic target the backhand return. It's a pretty obvious thing to do, especially if you can kick it up high. Uh, now, Nadal doesn't have a kick serve, but he has a slice serve, which obviously does a great job at bringing right-handers, especially on the ad side of the court, outside the singles line to hit uncomfortable backhand returns. Matteo Berrettini's backhand return is not terrible. He usually makes it. I think he gets a lot in play. And he usually hits it cross-court. There's just usually not a lot on it. It is not a shot that is going to be offensive. It is not a shot that is going to hurt you, which is obviously a stark contrast to the forehand side, where especially if you hit a second serve to Berrettini's forehand and miss your spot, or if he sees it coming, you can be in a lot of trouble. Um, obviously, with Nadal being a lefty, you don't really want to hit that return cross-court. You're giving Nadal what he wants, that first ball forehand. So Nadal hits most of his serves to the righty backhand all the time. So let's talk about the ingredients that are required to survive Nadal's first strike tennis. His serve plus his first forehand. And he's so good. Once he has you... On the run, he's so good at keeping you on a string with his forehand, never letting the ball get back to his backhand, and sustaining that aggression and keeping you on the ropes. So it's very important that on, that you make a good return so that you don't fall into Rafael Nadal's forehand cage of despair and doom and horribleness. So there's a couple of ways you can do that. The first thing is you can hit a backhand return that has to be well-timed, so this is more difficult to do, but you can hit it either down the line if you're on the ad side as a righty, so down the line to Nadal's backhand, or if you're on the deuce side, you can hit it inside out, 
which is a return that I think Andy Murray has hit better than anyone else on a consistent basis, for example. Um, that's one option. You can get it to Nadal's back end on the return. That's really hard to do, but if you can do it, it's great. The second option is you can hit a return hard enough and deep enough that Nadal may be hitting a forehand, but you've blunted his aggression. You've kept the forehand at bay. He can't be aggressive on that shot because you've achieved enough depth and enough heaviness that you're not allowing Rafa to hit an offensive forehand. The second option is for those who don't have good backhand returns. Let's say, for example, and we might see this in the final, maybe, let's say he's playing Stefano Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas doesn't have a great backhand return, but he's had decent success against Nadal. That is because Tsitsipas can give Nadal that first forehand that he wants and has the speed, the defensive skills, and the ability to start that point in a defensive position and dig out of it, to get back to neutral, to turn defense into offense, to make Nadal hit enough extra balls where maybe he gives himself a chance to get neutral. So it's one of two things. Either you have an exceptional backhand return or you have the exceptional movement and defense to fend off Rafael Nadal's forehand barrage. Matteo Berrettini doesn't have either of those things. He's 0 for 2 there. And as a result, I don't see how he's winning return points. And the most concerning thing about this is that I think the dynamic might look pretty similar on second serve return points. Because you could make an argument for, cert for, you know, on the first serve, it doesn't really matter as much because, you know, Berrettini's going to win a very high percentage of his first serve points too. You know, the way he has this, you know, an incredible first serve and an unbelievable forehand to follow it up. Probably the best first forehand in the world right now. So... It's the second serve where the concerning thing is that Berrettini, I think, struggles to do enough with the backhand return on the second serve return to, to win a, a good percentage of second serve return points as well as first serve return points. Um, that's a big problem, in my opinion, for, for Berrettini. Speaking of second serve points, uh, let's talk about Nadal's second serve return. In this tournament, it's ranged from amazing to not good. It it really has been up and down. My observation throughout the tournament is that it's much better when he's taking the return early. And it's something that he came into the event practicing. Taking time away from his opponent, shortening up his swing a little bit and hitting aggressive second serve returns up on the baseline. And I think when he's done that against Adrian Manorino, against Karen Hatchinov, in the first set against Denis Shapovalov, he's been great. The thing is, he hasn't stuck to it. He's moved back a lot in these matches. He's generally been less effective when he has moved back because he hasn't gotten great depth on his return. And even the forehand of Adrian Manorino, certainly the forehand of Karen Hatchinov in the third set, the one Nadal lost. And, um, you know, Dennis is a different story. But but they were able to to hurt Rafa in a, in a pretty big way. But when he stood in, he's been really good. 
I think ultimately when it comes to the Nadal return, this is going to be a match where we're reminded that although Nadal isn't really put up there with the Djokovic's and the Murray's of the world as the greatest returners of this generation, he's really darn close. And I agree that there's a little bit of that there's a gap there when it comes to fast court, big serve returning. Now, I would not argue that Nadal is on the same level as those guys. And now I think Medvedev deserves to, to be in that conversation as well. But I would argue that it's close, very close. And I think it's good enough to maintain a trend that we've seen with Matteo Berrettini, which is that against the elite returners, he struggles. And I think the best illustration of that is if you just look at his record against the top 10 overall, he really hasn't beaten top 10 players all that consistently at all. In the last 52 weeks, his record against the top 10 is one win to eight losses. Against non-top 10 players, he's 43-5. and five. That's a win percentage of about 90%. So Berrettini has really made a living off of not losing to anyone he's not supposed to beat. But against these elite players, I think the main difference is it takes a special player to return Berrettini's serve well enough to actually make a dent in these matches against him. And I just think a few players can. They're usually in the top 10. The best returners are usually in the top 10. And, I mean, you can you can look at the numbers there. Return point, you know, the, the players at the top of return points one are pretty much the top players. You know, you, you get some except, exceptions with guys who aren't quite there because they, they don't have serves like Diego Schwartzman. But for the most part, that's how it is. And uh, Berrettini struggles against those guys. So the Nadal return is obviously going to be a massive factor against the weapon of Berrettini's serve. And I'm interested to see how he returns the second serve. You know that there's not going to be that much success against the first serve because nobody has that success, but you want to steal a couple of points. And, you know, my gut tells me that Nadal is going to put in a performance that kind of reminds us that he is an elite returner on a hard court, even though he's not held up in the same esteem as some of the other guys who are known as the generational returners. That is what I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, which way that plays out. Now I want to talk about Berrettini's backhand in the rallies. Berrettini usually drives his backhand return, so I didn't really discuss this. But in the rallies, Berrettini will need to drive his backhands. You can't slice against Nadal. Nadal destroys slice. That's for a couple reasons. One, his racket speed is unparalleled, and that just gives him the ability to get, as everybody knows, more RPM on the ball than anyone else and more weight of shot. So he's able to generate off of a ball like a backhand slice, which doesn't have pace. He's able to generate that pace and generate that topspin to hit up on the ball and bring it down in time before it obviously goes long. Uh, and he gets amazing weight of shot even off of backhand slice. The second thing is his footwork. If Berrettini slices down the line, Nadal is 
always going to do a really good job of, first of all, anticipating that shot and starting to move early, but to use his footwork to avoid hitting a backhand on that shot and to try everything he can to make it a forehand. Berrettini also avoided the slice against Carlos Alcaraz. Alcaraz has a lot of similar attributes on the forehand side to Nadal. So I wouldn't say Berrettini completely didn't slice in that match, but he really did stay away from it for the most part. And that was premeditated, and I, I think that was tactical, and I think it was smart. But we see that if you force Berrettini to drive every backhand, it does lead to more errors. And you know what? A lot of players... A lot of players don't get the errors out of the Berrettini backhand. They go there because it's not the forehand and it's not a terrifying weapon, but it doesn't really get them anywhere because Berrettini can trade the backhand. Berrettini, especially when he's comfortable slicing, he can mix things up and find his forehand and put you in uncomfortable spots. That is part of the reason why a lot of players can't beat him, even though you know everybody knows to hit it to the backhand, but that's not good enough against Mateo. Now, getting it to the backhand and taking away one of Berrettini's options, just taking away the slice, making that a losing tactic because of the attributes that Nadal has, now things get more difficult for Mateo. And one of the areas where he always needs to slice because he just doesn't have the, the necessary skill to not slice is when he's stretched out. He does not have the the open stance backhand on the run that a Novak Djokovic is famous for, but even fellow big men like Berrettini, some of them are better at it, like a Hubert Hercoc is really good at it. Karen Hatchinov is really good at it. Berrettini is pretty much going to slice when he's on the run on his backhand. He is not very good hitting that open stance backhand. He will try sometimes, you know, so it's not it's not a non-factor, but he generally doesn't get a lot on it, and he doesn't feel all that comfortable um, executing on it. The last point in favor of Nadal, I just want to highlight kind of what he will likely, you know, what his baseline pattern will likely look like. He wants to go to the backhand one or two times, but then he wants to blast the finish to the forehand side. He'll constantly be listen, uh, he'll be working on getting the short ball from the backhand, waiting, waiting, attacking the backhand, waiting for the ball to attack, probably attacking to the forehand. So for Berrettini, what he's going to need to do is to get out of that pattern before Nadal gets the attackable ball uh, on his forehand side. And I don't really know how he's going to do it. But Berrettini knows that's what Nadal is going to do. Berrettini's coaches, including Craig O'Shaughnessy, who we we spoke to on three, who le even mentioned this uh, baseline pattern by Nadal. Everybody in the world knows that's exactly what he does. And it's a matter of how good is your backhand? Does your backhand have the ability to get out of that pattern? So I'm curious to see what does Berrettini do to try to make that happen. And I don't think, you know, I don't, in my mind, I can't think of anything he can do. Um, now his backhand is improved from 2019. His backhand is looking better. But if he's able to actually get out of that pattern and he's able to hit backhands in a way that 
that keeps him protected against Nadal's attack, I will be surprised. And and uh, that's not it's not what I would anticipate will happen. Uh, here's some paths to victory for Berrettini. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The best way for Berrettini to win is, of course, if he has an untouchable serve performance, which can happen if he... If he serves even better than he usually does, and he always serves well, he's Matteo Berrettini. But, you know, a, a great serve on this court, it isn't coming back usually. Sometimes on clay, great serves come back. On this court, not really coming back. So in that sense, this match will be played on Berrettini's racket when he's on serve. Maybe Nadal will have return issues. You know, we saw him play against Maxime Cressy. Cressy's got a big serve. Saw him play against Karen Hatchinov. Hatchinov has a above average serve when it comes to, you know, the power department. And Shapovalov has that as well. But nothing to the level of Matteo Berrettini. So we'll have to see what Nadal's first serve return looks like against Berrettini. It's not like we've never seen Rafa Nadal in his career have issues where his returns are landing too short against big servers on a quick surface. Nadal physicality issues. How will he recover? Now, he's had two days, which is huge for him. I think everybody would admit that. There's been a story going around that Nadal lost nine pounds as a result of his match against Denis Shapovalov. What we don't know, and I know that sounds crazy to people, but what we don't know is how many pounds Nadal usually loses during a match because he definitely always loses weight. That's how water works. The heaviest thing in our body is the water that we're holding in our body. Actually, I don't know if it's the heaviest, but I know it's a great deal of weight. And when you sweat, you lose weight. So that's just how it works. NASCAR drivers, you know, race car drivers, but especially NASCAR because it's closed cockpit, so it's super hot in there. They lose like 20 pounds every race. You know, when you sweat, you lose weight. So uh, I'm sure Nadal lost, I mean, I'm sure nine pounds is a lot for Nadal, but he, it's very possible he like usually loses five. So he only lost like, you know, 100% more than what he usually does. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into that. Uh, it's going to be a... What time is it starting? I'm trying to think. I think Melbourne time... I think it's afternoon. So it's 7.30 my time, which means it is about three hours after 11. Yeah, so it's about 3 p.m. 3 p.m. start. So could, you know, could be lively, hot conditions... I haven't checked the weather, I will admit. The last thing for Berrettini, superior nerve management. Using the serve, using the serve dominance of this matchup to shrink the margins, which is something that Berrettini often does. If this is going to go to tie breaks, if there's only going to be a few break points on either side throughout the match, well, it will come down to a couple of pressure points. And I wouldn't put it past Matteo Berrettini to actually have better nerve management than Rafa Nadal. I mean, 
we see this dynamic a lot. First of all, I think Berrettini is unbelievably clutch. Nadal has had his moments in the last year, year and a half where he hasn't been clutch. And there's much more pressure on Rafa right now. Now, he will downplay that. You, you could argue with that, and maybe I'm wrong. But the whole thing about him coming back from injury and not expecting to be here, of course Rafa's going to say that. But I think he's feeling what everyone else is feeling, which is that this is a big opportunity for him, that this could be 21. So that plus less match play than usual plus the history of uh, you know the last year and a half, plus Berrettini, and just how damn clutch he is. I could see Berrettini, if he wins, looking back on the match and being like, look, Rafa got passive on the big point. Mateo didn't. You know, Nadal's still learning to trust that hyper-aggressive first strike game, especially. That is everything I want to say about the matchup. Um... Ultimately, I don't think this is a good head-to-head -head for Berrettini. I think he'd have a much better chance against the other two semifinalists, quite frankly. And I know that that is a bold statement in the case of Daniil Medvedev, who is still, I think, the favorite, I think, in the odds, the favorite to win this tournament. But, and I'm not going to get into it, right? I'm not going to preview a hypothetical Berrettini-Medvedev, but I actually think that would give Berrettini a better chance. Nadal... His leftiness, the skill that he has in getting it to the right-handed backhand of attacking weak backhands, and the way he attacks players that don't move quite as well, uh, like Matteo Berrettini. I mean, I, I just the patterns to me are a nightmare for Matteo, and out of respect for Berrettini and out of acknowledgement of Nadal's kind of somewhat inconsistency. I don't blame him for the Shapovalov match, but at the end of the day, we haven't seen him play a complete a complete match against an opponent of Berrettini's quality. We haven't seen that. So out of respect for that or acknowledgement of that and respect for Berrettini, my pick is Nadal in four. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, and it is time for a preview of the 2022 Australian Open men's semifinal between Daniil Medvedev and Stefano Tsitsipas. As for the other semifinal, Rafael Nadal versus Matteo Berrettini, I have recorded a separate preview for that one, and it will be linked in the description and on the pinned comment. If you're new to the channel, welcome. Here's how these go. I will lay out keys to the match and discuss the paths to victory for both players, and then at the end of the video... I will reveal my prediction. It is already the ninth career meeting between Medvedev and Tsitsipas. Daniil Medvedev, of course, looking uh, to come off of his U.S. Open title. And there has been no man in the Open era who has come back from, from winning their first major and then won the next major, which is a, a pretty surprising stat. Meanwhile, Stefano Tsitsipas still seeks his coveted first major, and considering he came into this tournament with qu major questions about his elbow, I don't think anyone could have expected that he would have even gotten to this point. And I think he would be included in that. Similar to Rafa Nadal in the, in the other semifinal who came in with, with injury concerns. Now, despite the fact that 
Medvedev has had a real handle on Tsitsipas on hard courts, other than at the 2019 ATP Finals. Um, Tsitsipas comes off a blistering victory over Yannick Sinner, and really he's played five incredible sets in a row. The last two sets against Taylor Fritz and all three sets against Yannick Sinner. While Daniil Medvedev comes off of two matches that seemed pretty mentally and physically taxing. One against Maxime Cressy, the serve volleyer. And then the last one against Felix Ojealiasim, which was one of the more impressive victories of Daniil Medvedev's career. Not because of the level he had, but just how much heart, willpower, physical strength, and mental strength it took to come back from two sets to love down against a player who was playing as well as Felix Oje Aliasim was. So that sets the stage for this semifinal. And let's jump into some of these tactical keys now. I think the short point battle will likely decide this one. I think there's going to be a lot of, of short points given the way these two serve. And the question is, for Tsitsipas, can he get past the first and second shot, the serve and the return. Because Medvedev is a better server than Tsitsipas, and he's a better returner than Tsitsipas. And on this court surface, which I think has been very fast, and there's been a lot of free points, that that has mattered a lot. You know, Tsitsipas is coming off a matchup against Yannick Sinner, who doesn't serve big enough to really take advantage of the Stefano Tsitsipas return. Taylor Fritz was the first big server that Tsitsipas faced, and indeed, Stefanos had a good amount of trouble breaking that Taylor Fritz serve, and Taylor was able to get plenty of free points and plus-one opportunities off of that Tsitsipas return. On the other side of the coin... Tsitsipas hasn't faced a returner who is nearly as good as Daniil Medvedev. Again, this is not saying much, although I think Felix held up very nicely from a serve-return perspective. Daniil Medvedev, when it comes to the serve-return combination, no one's really going to have him beat. But Tsitsipas clearly loses in both here, whereas some players might be able to equal him in return, like maybe a Djokovic or a Nadal, or in the case of Berrettini, to round out our semifinalists, Berrettini would match him in serve. Tsitsipas, neither. So the key for Stefanos is to serve well enough and to return well enough where he's able to hold up at least, at least hang in there in that initial serve-return phase. Because if he's able to hold up in the serve-return phase, he has a good chance to win the short points because, and this is something that I've covered in all of their previous meetings... Tsitsipas is more prolific on the first strike. He's got a better forehand, first of all, offensively. He's got a better forehand. He's doing a tremendous job of following that forehand into the net. And there's a big opportunity against Medvedev. Because if you're able to take that first shot and you're able to hit it as an approach shot, Medvedev usually takes a couple of shots, a couple of neutralizations, in order to actually get to neutral and fully recover his court position. If Medvedev doesn't hit a very deep return and Tsitsipas is able to hit approach shots on that first ball, Medvedev will likely not be in a great position to make the pass. And that is what Tsitsipas has done so well. So much serve plus approach. 
So Tsitsipas is better on the first strike. Defensively, on Medvedev's serve, Tsitsipas has the speed to disrupt Medvedev's early aggression. Daniil Medvedev is not as good in his transition game, and his forehand isn't as big. He's not as comfortable generating pace. So how much can Tsitsipas' speed be a factor here if he can get returns in play? I think quite a bit, but that if is the key there. If Tsitsipas uses his slice defense well, he can really bother Medvedev. I do think it helps Daniil that this match is being played during the day. It, you know, livelier, um, sorry, I do think it helps Tsitsipas that this match is being played at night. Slower conditions, making it a little bit harder for Daniil to hit through the court, which is something that FAA certainly was able to take advantage of, especially before the roof closed. And I don't know if it was because of the roof or if it was unrelated to the roof, but Medvedev started hitting through the court much better after the roof closed, which also happened to be the end of the match. Again, it's not clear what caused that, but it could have been the roof. Um, in their last meeting, oh, one more point. I do think Medvedev offensively is going to target that Tsitsipas backhand. And let's see what the, the backhand defense looks like uh, because it is at times shaky. So definitely a target for Medvedev on his forehand, especially. I don't think he'll attack cross court much at all. I think he'll attack to the ad side. He'll hit a lot of forehands down the line. He'll hit a lot of forehands inside out. Um, and he will make... Tsitsipas come up with backhands to stay in the rally. It's a, you know, it's it's how to get more errors and also usually even if even if Tsitsipas is able to get the ball back, it's almost never as heavy as his running forehand, which even in defensive positions is just an unbelievable shot uh, that Tsitsipas usually gets a lot of heaviness on regardless of what his position is. Just a note before we move on from this, Medvedev won 88% of his first serve points in their in last year's meeting in Melbourne. So Tsitsipas is going to have to do significantly better than that. As far as rallies go, Medvedev is going to be very tactically focused, much more so than a Yannick Sinner. He's uh, very good at playing his forehand down the line without accepting risk. So it's unlikely that Medvedev is going to be playing multiple forehands cross-court, giving Tsitsipas time to, to use his forehand, which is a bigger weapon than Medvedev's forehand, to use that cross-court advantage and turn that into a winning strategy. Medvedev won't let that happen. It'd be very surprising if he hits his cross if he hits his forehand cross-court two, three times in a row, or even over 60% of the time, he will time that ball down the line and he will pattern change down the line all the time to get that ball to the Pass backhand. As far as when the ball is on the Medvedev backhand instead of the forehand, well, he's very good at getting out of backhand jail. First of all, his backhand cross court is extremely precise, kind of like Taylor Fritz in the previous round. But, but... I think the important thing is the precision cross court getting to the Tsitsipas backhand, but also the down the line threat. And he knows he needs to maintain that down the line threat to keep Tsitsipas from camping out in that backhand corner and hitting inside out and inside in forehands. Medvedev 
knows these patterns. He has such good timing and good, you know, feel for moving the ball around the court that when he plays a player like Tsitsipas, who has one side that's clearly weaker than the other, he's generally pretty darn good at finding it. I think it was interesting last year at this event when it comes to Tsitsipas' backhand that his backhand was much better against Nadal's spin than Medvedev's flat, deep, penetrating ball. Tsitsipas protected his backhand tremendously well against Nadal. And then against Medvedev, he had a terrible, I mean, horrific backhand day. If you look at the backhand stats of last year's match, I mean, he barely hit a winner. I think, no, he hit one. He hit one backhand ground stroke winner. Now I remember, and I, I was able to uh, dig up my analysis of that. Didn't force a lot of errors. I mean, it was a nothing shot. It was a terrible backhand day. So he needs to do better. But, you know, it's just an interesting note that we got that back-to-back very, you know, sharply contrasting balls. And Tsitsipas did so much better against Nadal's heavy topspin versus Medvedev's uh, flat hitting. I do think one of the big differences between the last meeting and this meeting will be Tsitsipas's use of the slice. He's going to slice a lot because he has been slicing a lot. And what do players do against Medvedev? They slice even more. They know that they cannot trade backhands. They cannot trade topspin backhands with Medvedev. So Tsitsipas will slice a lot. And I still don't trust that shot. He's had some good slicing moments in the last couple matches. I just still don't trust it. But if he does it well, I will give him this. He'll capitalize. Because the slice is not a shot where uh, Tsitsipas is going to get errors. Um, from Medvedev, but it is a shot where he'll get opportunities for runaround forehands, in my opinion. And look out for that pattern. Lastly, I think the questions about Tsitsipas's net prowess. I'm very interested to see. Guys, I'm just going to pause and say my nose right now is so itchy. I don't know what's going on, but I just keep having to scratch my nose. Okay. Um, so I don't know if that's TMI or what, but, um, yeah. <laughs> Tsitsipas is going to come forward a lot in this match. I have no doubt about it. Look, Medvedev is amazing at making, first of all, getting to the approach shots and forcing difficult volleys. I love Tsitsipas as a volleyer. I think he's great as a volleyer, but I don't know if he's a good, difficult Volier. I don't know how good he is below his knees. I don't know how great he is when he needs to hit drop volleys, which is, the, you know, the volleys, those are the volleys that he'll need to hit against Medvedev so deep in the court. I think he's got very solid volleys, especially above net level. I think he, he sticks the volley very well, but he doesn't have the best hands, and I don't think he's great at making the difficult volleys. So that's not a tactical thing because I think he needs to come in. That just comes down to execution, and that's a technical thing. I just wonder how efficient is Tsitsipas going to be on his net approaches. So that plus the backhand, whether it be the backhand slice and just the, the drive backhand in general, those are my technical questions for Tsitsipas. It's, it's tactics aside, you know, will he execute on those things? And uh, I'm not sure, but I'm I'm leaning more towards that he'll have problems 
in those areas. Lastly, I'll talk about the energy. Look, Medvedev's young. We've he by all indications is extraordinarily fit. Is it possible that the fitness and the energy is a problem here? Yes, but it's so hard to predict. And how many times have we seen how many times have we seen players come off of long, hard five-setters and they've just been fine with a day rest at majors? I mean, so often we see that they're just fine. And you know what? If Medvedev loses, I will continue to do what I always do. I will evaluate whether or not he looked tired. If he doesn't look tired, I'm not going to talk about the five-setter that he had in the previous match. If I don't see with my eyes that he looks tired... Forget that, you know, because a lot of the time it's just confirmation bias where people come off five setters and then they have that as an excuse if they lose. But how often does it cause a loss in the next round? Look, I believe in progressive wear and tear and fatigue throughout a major, but it's very hard to predict. It's very often, I think, overrated as a factor. And I am going to assume that Daniil Medvedev is going to be fine. I think on a quick surface like this, this continues to be a bad matchup for Stefano Tsitsipas. And my pick is Daniil Medvedev in four. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.